James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5 this morning. <coughs> James chapter number 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Colton, would you care to close that door? I think when the kids opened it up. Thank you. Uh, James chapter number 5 is where we're going to be this morning. It was exactly, well not to the day, but exactly one year ago, the first Sunday of July, that we began our study in the book of James. If you stuck with us the whole way, you have survived. If you make it through the end of this service, you will have survived 33 messages from the five chapters in this book. We've, uh, we've been weaving our way through, verse by verse, through the Word of God and, and seeing what the Scripture says for itself. Uh, we have not been imposing our will on the Scriptures. We've been allowing God's Word to be the hero and the one that speaks. Because it's God's Word that's powerful. It is not man's Word. And today we come to the very end, the last couple of verses. And, and as we come to the conclusion of this letter, James finishes this book kind of in a different way than you'll find in most of the New Testament books. In many of the New Testament epistles that Paul would write, or, or the ones that John would record for us, or even in the Gospels, uh, it kind of comes to a, a, a nice pretty end. And He kind of usually would give a good bu- goodbye salutation to say hello to so-and-so, and say hello to so-and-so, and, and let them know that I'm praying for them, and pray for us. And, I mean, it was just kind of the sweet way that he would end. But James doesn't end like that. In fact, James's letter almost ends like a cliffhanger. It's just kind of like abrupt, comes to an abrupt stop. But I believe he does that intentionally because I think the thoughts that he wants to leave the readers with are thoughts that he wants them to continue thinking about, to ruminate in their minds. It's almost like they're going full speed and all of a sudden he says, okay, now take that with you. Chew on that for a while. Let that be something that you soak in for some time. And so James, one final time, he pulls in these young believers real close, and for the final time, he says to them in James 5, verse number 19, Brethren, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. I love it just like He's done throughout the Scripture. Just like He's done over and over again throughout this book that He has written. He brings them in close and He says, Alright brothers, alright brethren, I've got something to tell you. Now this is super important as we're going to see because these verses that He writes are not written to the unsaved. They're written to believers. They're written to the Christians. They're written to these first century believers that He'd written to that were scattered abroad based upon the persecution that was coming upon them. And while some have misunderstood these verses to be referring to someone who is seeking to lead another person to Christ, that is just not what James is talking about here. No, James is giving a sobering reminder as he comes to the conclusion of this book. We'll see first of all here that James in verse number 19 gives us this reality. No one is too big to fall. No one is too big to fall. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. James brings to light a tragic reality that there will be some who once stood firm for the faith that will walk away from the truth of the Scriptures. 
We're reminded of early on in the book in James chapter number 1 when he said almost the exact same thing, but it was a warning that he gave in verse number 14 of chapter number 1. He said, but but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. By the way, God doesn't tempt any man. That's what he says in the verse before there. Nobody can stand and say, well, God gave this to me. No, the Bible tells us every man is drawn away of his own lust. Can I tell you, it's nobody's fault when you fall into sin except your own. Nobody forces you to sin. You choose. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, the Bible says, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. And then he gives this warning. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Many months ago, we talked about what he was saying there. It was like you're driving on the road and you've got the rumble strips on either side. He says, listen, when you start to get a little off track, uh, you hear those rumble strips, it's a reminder, get back on track, all right? Don't swerve, don't err. Stay in between the lines. Because if you stay in the lines, you don't end up in the ditch. But unfortunately... James knew that temptation is real and the flesh is weak. And so with sorrow, he, he says to them here at the end, if any of you do err from the truth. Even with all the warnings, even with all the direction, even with all the, the, the preaching that he could do, he says, listen, there's going to be some of you that are still going to swerve. There's going to be some that are still going to get off track. Some that are going to find themselves in the sad position of being away from the God that loves them so much. It was about ten years ago, Tress and I had the opportunity to go to Kauai. And uh, that was a cool opportunity. Her dad actually... uh, Paid for the whole family before everybody got married. I, we were the only ones. And so he, he paid for the whole family and took all of us to Kauai. It was a really cool cool adventure for all of us. And we got to go there and, and do a lot of cool things and uh, really enjoyed it. And if you haven't been to Kauai, Kauai is the quiet island, okay? Uh, I think the other ones are a little bit more upbeat. Kauai is quiet. In fact, it's so quiet, you know it's quiet because you'll be sitting on the beach and there'll be chickens running around all around you. It's, it's weird. I'm just telling you. It's, it's the way that it is. And, and uh, you know, I remember we, we would go into stores and and people are just so laid back. They're just like, oh yeah, just look at whatever you, you know, and it's just, it's just, it's such a unique place. But I remember we were there in, in Kauai and, and uh, we, we went, we went swimming one day and, and, uh, and Tressa's dad and I and, and her brother, we were out there on some of these, these boards. I think they call them wakeboards or something. We were out there in the water and we were just kind of, kind of out there just floating around. And, uh, and I remember we, we, we got out a little ways from the, the shore and, you know, we're waving at everybody and, and we've been out there for a little while and, and all of a sudden we looked up and, and everybody on the shore was gone. We're like, what? I mean, the, the, the girls, the, the girls were gone. We, we were like, where did they go? And it took us a minute to realize that it wasn't that they moved, it was that we had drifted down the shoreline. The current of the water had carried us down there. It wasn't that we were swimming away from the shore. The current just slowly drifted us away, and we got to the place where we didn't even realize we were somewhere a quarter, half a mile down the shoreline without even realizing it. You know, the truth is, for most believers, you don't just fall into sin. In fact, nobody just falls into sin. It's a gradual progression. 
It's a slow step. Can I say it this way? It's, it's just a real slow carry of the current away from God. It doesn't just happen. People don't wake up one day and, and they've lost their family and they've lost their job and, and they've lost their life and everything's destroyed. Uh, they don't just wake up one day and it's just like, oh man, yesterday everything was perfect and then today it's like, no, 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 no. It's a progression that takes place. A choice after choice after choice after choice. Little by little making these decisions that lead to destruction. See, James said it, hey, uh, uh, when, when lust hath conceived, then it brings forth sin, and then sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. He says it's a process that takes place. You lust, you, 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 you act upon that lust, you act upon that lust, it causes sin, and sin always leads to death spiritually. But here's the scary part. So many Christians are slowly making their way from God, and they don't even realize it. Because the current of sin is so imperceptible sometimes. In fact, it's not that you're swimming with the current. It's not that you're swimming away from God. It's just that you just become complacent where you're at. And you're not really concerned and the walls aren't up like they should be. And, and the next thing you know, you've drifted so far away from God and you look up and you think, wow, where did God go? And it's not that He moved. It's just little decisions that have led away. Time after time of hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, and, and just saying, you know what? I'm alright. I don't need to make any changes. Ah, you know, I hear that, and the Holy Spirit pricks your heart, and you say, yeah, that sounds good, but yeah, you know, I think I'm all right. Can I tell you the greatest danger, I believe with all my heart, the greatest danger to the church in America today, it, it isn't the all-out attack on Christianity. Yes, that's a danger, but that's not the greatest danger. Can I tell you what I believe the greatest danger in the church is? Complacency. Complacency. Because if somebody walked in those back doors with a gun, everybody would be up in arms. <laughs> but when the devil slides in from the back door, and we're just complacent, there's no resistance. Paul knew all too well just how easy it is to fall and to slowly find your way into that life. At the very end of his life, as he's recording the last words that he would record there in 2 Timothy, his mind is brought back to some of the friends that once served with him in ministry. And he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse number 10, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. The Bible tells us Demas, the other times that you find him in the Scriptures, he's always co-laboring with, with, with Paul. He's helping plant churches. He's helping reach people with the Gospel. He's helping serve. He's involved in ministry. But all of a sudden you get to the end of Paul's life and he says, hey, there's one thing I remember about Demas is one day he was there, but slowly, but slowly, but slowly, but slowly his love for the world led him away from God. And one day he woke up and he wasn't even there anymore. 
And friend, that's the way it happens in the Christian life. The somber reminder that James gives to these first century believers. And listen, it carries true to us today. Listen, no one is too big to fall. Because it's not some catastrophic collapse. No, no, no. It's a small swerve erring from the truth. Friend, who is it at Whitehall Baptist Church that in a year from now won't be here anymore? Not because a job took you to some other place or some situation in life moved you on. No, no, no. Won't be here anymore because they stepped away from the truth. Who once faithfully served the Lord, but then walks away from Him. Who will be the one, listen, who who once stood today, but falls tomorrow. By God's grace and His mercy, don't let it be you. Heed the warnings of James chapter number 1, so you don't end up in James chapter number 5. Don't err from the truth. Stay faithful. Don't find yourself on that slow drift away from God. Don't cave to the complacency of just going through the motions. Purpose in your heart to pursue Him each and every day to be intentional with your relationship with Him. You know one of the amazing things about that day in Kauai? It wasn't that we were swimming away and with the current. It was just we weren't swimming against it. It wasn't that that we were intentionally going that direction. It was just that we weren't intentionally going the other direction. You see, you have to choose. Lord, am I going to intentionally follow you or am I just going to let life happen? And I promise you, you will drift further and further away from the Lord. Hey, listen, friend. James gives us a somber reminder. Hey, There's going to be some that are going to err from the truth. And friend, no one, no one is too big to fall. So heed the warning. And then he goes on with this. In verse number 19 and 20, he he tells us what to do when someone does fall. What to do when someone does fall. And this is what he leaves us with. Verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. James challenges those who see someone who is falling away from the truth not to simply stand by and do nothing. He challenges them to convert him. Now, there has been much confusion that is attributed to these verses. Some have said that clearly this teaches when someone walks away from God that they can lose their salvation. Here's the problem. That is in direct contradictory to the rest of Scripture. One of my favorite passages that absolutely destroys the belief that a person can lose their salvation is just one page over in First Peter chapter number 1. I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite. In verse number 3, you can look at it there. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten unto us, again, uh, listen, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you know what that lively hope is? It's eternity with Him. It's eternity in heaven. That's what that hope is. It's a promise that you're going to spend eternity with God. Now listen to what he says about it in verse number 4. To an inheritance 
that's incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, is reserved in heaven for you. Listen, I feel like he's just hammering it every way that he can. He says, listen, you cannot lose this thing, okay? It is, listen, and then he says, in case you missed it, verse number five, here's the trump card. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, he says this, he says, listen, if it was up to you to keep your salvation, you would lose it. But you're not kept by your own works. You're not kept by your power. He says, let me tell you whose power you are kept by. You are kept by the power of God. And He's all-powerful. Friend, that means when you accept Christ as your Savior, you cannot lose it. You say, Kyle, is that the only place? No, we could go and we could spend time in Ephesians chapter 1 and we could see it there. And we could go over to John chapter number 10 and we could see it there. We could go all over the Bible and we could find, you know, where, where the Bible says, you know, that, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have, uh, you know, temporary life. No, 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 listen, friend. Have everlasting life. You say, how long is everlasting? Well, I have a feeling that it lasts ever, okay? That's, you know, that's just kind of the way that my brain works, all right? It means that it never ends. You can't lose it. And that means you don't have to do it over and over again either. Do you get that? Because this is a big one, okay? If you can't lose it, then when you make that decision, it doesn't mean you have to do it over and over again because you can't lose it. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. How many times did Christ die on the cross for your sins? One time. When he died on that cross that one time, he paid for your sins, past, present, and future. Do you understand? This is where we struggle with. So many people struggle with this, and they think, well, I know that he died for what I've already done, but how could he have died for what I'm going to do? Do you understand when he died on the cross that all of your sins were in the future? All of them. So when he died on that cross, he died not just for your sins that you have done, he died for the sins that you will he paid for all of them. So when you fail, when you err from the truth, it's not that you lose your salvation, but you do break that relationship with Him. And listen, the Christian life, it is not all about do's and don'ts. The Christian life is all about relationship with God. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know what that relationship is, man, you're missing out on the sweetest part of life on this earth. A relationship with your Savior, God. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned, that there's none righteous, that there's not one righteous. If you think that you're righteous, just ask your spouse and she'll let you know, okay, uh, that, that you're not, okay? Uh, we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that the wage of that sin is death, eternity in a lake of fire. For all of eternity, nobody wants to go there. God was so good that Jesus Christ died on that cross and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstrated His love by Jesus Christ dying for you. The wage of sin is death. Jesus died. He paid the payment. Here's the key. You have to receive it. You have to accept it. Now listen, just like if we were at the grocery store and you're at Costco and the bill rings up, $872, that's what it always is, it seems like, all right? And, uh, and you're standing there and the person behind you walks up and says, you know what, hey, let me take care of that for you. You have the choice. 
to say thank you. I will accept that. Or you can say, no thanks, I think I, can, I got this, I got it covered. And then you dig in your pockets and, and you, you pull out your phone and your card's declined because it's too much. And finally you're like, well I guess I shouldn't be employed here because I can't pay this off, right? You know, I mean that's the way, that, that, listen, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. Jesus died on the cross, but you have to accept that gift. You can reject it. Hey listen friend, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose to go there by not accepting his gift. By rejecting his gift of eternal life. How do you accept his gift? The Bible tells us that if thou shalt believe in thine heart, you confess with your mouth, number one, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because if he wasn't God, when he died on that cross, then his payment doesn't matter. It's the same as anybody else that could have died on that cross. But Jesus Christ is God. And he never once sinned. And because he died on that cross, it is enough. It's, the Bible tells us it's the satisfactory payment for our sin. The propitiation, that's a Bible word, for our sin. So when he died on that cross, he paid for your sin. You have to believe Jesus Christ, you are God. And not only are you God, you proved it by rising again the third day. He's not in the grave. Hey, listen, you go to the, to the tomb of Muhammad, you know who you find there? Muhammad's bones. You go to the tomb of Bo- Buddha, you know who you find there? Buddha's bones. You go to the tomb of Joseph Smith, you know who you find there? Joseph Smith. You know who? You, you, you go to the tombs of every pope that's ever lived, every priest that's ever lived, every Baptist preacher that's ever lived. You know who you find there? Their bones. You know whose tomb you can go to and you don't find their bones? Jesus. He's not there. Because he rose again on the third day, proving, I mean like the emphatic stamp, boom, listen, victory over death in the grave. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, the Bible says thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth in the righteous, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And verse number 13 he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's only by Jesus Christ and His death and payment on the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Nothing you can do can get yourself there. It is only on what Jesus Christ did for you. Friend, it's all about that sweet relationship with Him. And once you accept it, once you get it, you cannot lose it. You can't get it again. It's a one-time purchase. When He died for you on that cross, and when you accept Him, as your Savior. I hope you get that today. I hope that helps you. I don't know if that helps anybody today, but listen, it helped me. I struggled with it for a long time. I, I just lay in bed at night, and God, I think I am, but I, I'm not sure if I am. I, I'm not sure. I think I am. Today I did pretty good, so I probably am today, but tomorrow, I don't know. And, and I, went, I struggled with this back and forth, and then one day uh, the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, listen, he that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son hath not life. It's very simple. Cut and dry. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you got it. If you didn't accept Him, you don't got it. Okay? That's the way that works. And if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you got it. And if you haven't accepted Him, you can get it today. Right where you sit. What do I have to do, Kyle? Listen, you can ask Him right where you're seated. God, will you forgive me for my sins? I'm putting my full faith and trust in you. Kyle, it seems too simple. Yeah, you know what? It is simple. But it wasn't easy. Jesus Christ dying on that cross cost everything. And for us to add to it is to take away from what he did. Hey, listen, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells us you can't lose that, but you can't stray away.
And the Bible says when someone strays away, when somebody leaves, he says, oh, hey, hey, listen, you need to try to go and, and convert them. The word convert there, it, it doesn't have the same ideas it may have used in other places. The word convert there literally means to cause to turn to something. To cause to turn to something. What is it that they're turning to? They're turning away from the direction that they are going with their life, and they are turning back to Christ. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, man, they failed, they stumbled, they erred, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. You know what that is? Converting them. Bringing them back. In a spirit of meekness, restore them. And what else should you do? Consider yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hey, listen, we could go back just a few weeks ago when we were in verse number 16 and we talked about the importance of accountability that ought to be found within the church. We saw there in verse number 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. That's what he was talking about right here. That's what it was. Come alongside and, and encourage them and help them and, 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 and help them to stay on track and get back on track whenever they've drifted away from God accountability to help them to get on track with the truth. And it all starts where James has spent his time emphasizing over these last three or four weeks. It all starts with prayer. To follow the example of Elijah that we saw last week and beg God to turn his people back to him and to pray that God will forgive them for their sins. And God always answers that prayer because it's according to the will of God and God always forgives sins when we ask him to forgive our sins. That's what God does. It's in his very nature. And as a believer, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you see somebody straying from their way, listen, the most powerful thing that you can do, the, the first thing that you can do, the thing that, that often gets overlooked and gets set behind it's the last thing that we go to but it should be the first is to spend our time in prayer on our knees for that person for God to turn their hearts back to him when is the last time that you spent praying for someone who has gone astray when is the last time you spent praying for anybody else besides yourself we're so selfish in our prayers God bless me and, and provide for me and take care of my things and my family and me, 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 me. When's the last time that you prayed for somebody else? When's the last time that you prayed for somebody that's struggling or drifting with the passion of Elijah for the erring one? There are a few times this kind of prayer becomes more real than when it's a parent praying for a wayward child. You want to see real prayer? passionate, fervent prayer, effectual prayer that you find in the scriptures that he talks about. When a Christian mommy or daddy watches their child walking away from God. And suddenly now, it's not just flowery prayers, but it's real. Sincere. It's fervent. You know, it would be good for some young people to stumble upon a parent calling out their name to the Lord. It's amazing how casual our prayers become and how passionate our prayers become when someone that we love is on the verge of the consequences of their sin. 
There's no question James' primary emphasis when he thought about helping the erring brother return from the error of his ways, when he thought about that, he was thinking about prayer. But listen, I don't think that means that's where we have to stop. Because I think we need more church members who will reach out to others when someone is drifting and make an actual contact with somebody who's drifting away from God. Now listen, friend, I want, you to, I want to help you today. It is not the sole responsibility of the pastor to reach the drifting members of the church. Hey, we talked about it this morning in, in, in Sunday school time. Listen, when we're talking about the membership of the church, it's not just about the pastor. This is, uh, listen, yes, this is my church. I attend here, but listen, it is not my church. This is your church. This is the church's church. This is, if, you're, if you're part of this church, it's your church. And when someone is drifting away, it is just as much a responsibility of the members of the church to reach out to that person that's drifting as it is the pastor. And if we think that it's not, you are mistaken. And it's probably the reason that so many people leave the church. is because nobody takes personal responsibility for anybody else. Do you realize we live in the easiest time in history to encourage each other? I mean, you think about this. I mean, if we lived 100, 150 years ago, I mean, like, you, like, had to write, you had to dip it in a quill, a quill in a, the ink and, like, take out a parchment, like, and, and write it on there. And then you had to roll it up and tie it to a pigeon's foot. I mean, it's just like, I mean, like, life has changed, okay? It wasn't, maybe not that extreme. But, but listen, I mean, like, if you wanted to encourage somebody, it was a lot more work. I mean, like, I didn't grow up in it, but many of you remember party lines. Could you, I mean, like, is you, you, I mean, like, if you wanted to call somebody, I can't imagine. I mean, like, you know, and then like, yeah, I'd like to talk to Susie. Okay, just one second. You know, I mean, like, I can't, like, I can literally pick up my phone and say, text Tressa. I mean, and it does it. I mean, like, it is, I don't even have to move a finger. I don't have to lift a finger. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we live in the easiest time in history that it is to connect with somebody. And we live in the, 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 the time in history where people are the less connected they've ever been. When's the last time that you reached out to somebody, sent them a text, made a phone call, Invited them over for dinner. Now this is, I mean, this is like a whole nother step, all right? Whenever you invite somebody into your house. Okay, that's like some, some next level, level stuff there, okay? But, but, but listen, why not? I'll tell you why. It's because it's all about me and my time and I don't have time for it. And we see somebody drifting, we think, man, that's too bad, but if I had more time, I'd reach out to them. And we're missing one of the most important parts of the Christian life. Paul became so frustrated with John Mark because John Mark decided to go back home to mommy. <laughs> That's what happened. He was discouraged. And he went back home. And uh, that, that could have been the end of John Mark's story. I mean, in fact, when, when Barnabas came back and said, Paul, I think we should go get John Mark and bring him back... Paul was like, no, I'm having nothing to do with that guy. That little weenie baby, you know, whatever. You know, he called him all kinds of names, I'm sure, you know, in the Bible. You know, all in the name of the Lord and Jesus' love. He, I mean, he just, he just really, I mean, I don't want anything. The, Paul, the Bible tells us that their contention was so strong that Paul and Barnabas parted ways. And that should have been the end of the story of John Mark. It probably would be if he lived today. 
But there was that other guy named Barnabas, who the Bible simply describes him as the son of consolation. He was an encourager, is what that means. And, and, and Barnabas came alongside John Mark and encouraged him that God wasn't done with him yet. That God still had a purpose for his life. And just a couple of years ago, we preached through the book of Mark, written by John Mark. Can I tell you, we probably wouldn't have the book of John Mark if it wasn't for a guy named Barnabas, who we know just a very little about, but what we do know about him is that he was an encourager. And for the rest of time, could you imagine? I mean, how awesome would that be? The one thing that anybody knows about you for the rest of time. I mean, like, you could be Demas. You could be Thomas, the doubter, all right, who did it one time, and then the rest of the time he's known as the doubter. Barnabas is known for one thing. He was an encouragement. Man, that God would give us some people in the church that they'd be known as encouragers. That when they see somebody stumbling, when they see somebody erring, they come alongside them and try to bring them back into the fold. But as James concludes his letter, he gives a a, a glimpse at the power there is in bringing someone back to a relationship with the Lord. In verse number 20. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner, okay, there it is again, okay, brings him back from the error of his ways, shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That first part there, it literally has the idea that you literally could be saving his life. The thought here is that they could be involved in sins that literally could cost them their lives. We talked a few, a few weeks ago of 1 John chapter number 5, but the Bible talking about there's a sin unto death. And the idea there is that in the Christian life, that, that a Christian can be so rebellious against God, can, can walk away from God in such a capacity that God looks at them and says, listen, you are no longer of any use to me on this earth. In fact, you're doing more harm than good. And their life can come to a premature end because they have chosen not to return and repent back to God, but they choose to continue in the error of their ways against the chastisement, against the correction, against those that come alongside them. That's a very, very real thing. And the Bible tells us that when somebody comes alongside them and encourages them, you literally could be saving their life. But here's what's amazing. Because I think this may be the most powerful part, and this is where James ends it. He says something that's just stunning that they shall hide a multitude of sins. Now understand, friend, we've talked about this. No person has the ability to cover anybody else's sins. You and I, you can come to me and you confess your sins to me and I'll just stand there with my mouth wide open. Okay, that's the only thing that's going to happen. I cannot, I cannot absolve you of any sins. And no man can, only Jesus can. So that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that, hey, listen, you come to that person and then you can forgive them of their sins. That's not what he's saying. Okay, that's not what it is here. What James is talking about is something very different, but it's so powerful. He is saying that if you encourage a brother or sister in Christ to turn from their erroneous ways, you not only will save them from continuing in their sin, but listen, don't miss this, but you may be saving their lineage from that path as well. You could literally be changing their family legacy. Changing the lineage of their family. Friend, that's a big deal. 
When you, through the power of God, help someone to change the direction of their life, it might not just be changing their life. It could be changing the life of their children. It could be changing the life of their children's children. It's a thought that's so powerful that James puts a period and ends his book right there. Wow! The power that there is. When you reach that erring brother or sister in Christ, it could change everything. Them. I'm sure the prodigal son was thankful his father didn't give up on him. I love the story there in Luke chapter number 15. Young man comes to his dad, says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Give me my inheritance. I, I want what I would get if you weren't even alive anymore. The Bible tells you to divide into them as living. That young man, not many days after, took his, his, his money, took his goods, and he went into a far-off country. And the Bible says there he wasted, that's where the word prodigal is, okay? He wasted his life with riotous living. He lived it up. He went to the parties, he spent all the money, I mean, he did everything that the world had to offer in that day. But the Bible tells us that when he had spent all, he found himself in want. He, he, he found out that you can get all the things and end up empty. And when he had no money that he couldn't even feed himself, the Bible tells us he went and he joined himself with a person in that town that had some pigs. And he started helping take care of the pigs, but he didn't even have enough money to, make any, to, to, to buy anything, even after taking care of the pigs. And so he would wait until the pigs finished eating, and once the pigs were done eating, he'd, he'd go over and he'd dip his head down into that trough and he would eat whatever was left, the husks that the, the hogs didn't eat. And one day, I think probably after he finished eating, he probably sat there and he said, the Bible says he came to himself. He says, I'm going to perish with hunger. And my, my father, he has servants that have food and enough to spare. I'm going to go to him and I'm going to say, Dad, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Would you make me as one of your hired servants? So he starts heading home. And you can, I can almost imagine what he must have been thinking as he's going home. He's like, man, I, ho I hope Dad accepts me back. I just hope he, I mean, even if it's the very lowest, I hope he lets me be one of the servants. I mean, I know dad's not going to let me be, I mean, he won't even recognize me anymore. He probably is just going to, uh, I mean, may, may not even accept me. He may tell me, go back if you wanted that life, go ahead on back. And he's walking to that house. And as he's getting a little bit closer, he turned that corner and he looked off in the distance and he saw something on that porch. It says when he was a great way off, he looked over and he saw something on that porch and he thought, man, that, that looks familiar. That kind of looks like daddy. I, I, I'm not real sure, but I think it is. And, and he got a little bit closer and the Bible tells us this, that he arose, the father. He arose and came to him. And when he was yet a far away, when he was great far away off, his father saw him and, and had compassion on him. And the Bible says he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Can you imagine what is going through this boy's head? What's happening? <laughs> Dad, I don't deserve this. 
I, 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 don't, I don't even belong here. God, uh, Dad, uh, after everything that I did to you, how I squandered all that you gave me, I wasted it all. And, and Dad, I don't deserve any of this. Verse number 22 is beautiful. The father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Friend, the father was not concerned about how his son had failed him. He was rejoicing that his erring son had come back home. We don't know what happened beyond these verses. But my guess for that prodigal son is that there were some grandkids one day that were thankful that grandpa was there waiting for their dad to return. There were probably some great grandkids down the line that said, man, I'm sure thankful we're not still eating the, the pig food. I'm thankful that we're here on this house. Man, I'm so, so thankful that, that grandpa let us come back. Great grandpa let us come back home. In fact, you know what I do know? I don't, I don't know what happened the rest of that story, but I do know this. 2,000 years later, I'm thankful that there was a father that was waiting to receive his wayward son back home. And listen, I'm thankful there's a father in heaven that's ready to receive his wayward son back home. Growing up in Indiana, we bass fished all the time. I've talked about it quite a bit. And uh, during the years of bass fishing, we, we acquired a lot of gear. And uh, I've, I've shared before, my best buddy, uh, Jeremiah, growing up, he had an $850 1990 F-150 that he poured his, pulled his $9,000 bass boat with. And uh, I remember, I mean, there were times we'd get down in there and we were going to pull that boat back out of the water and we didn't, I didn't think it was going to come back out. I thought we were going into the water. I mean, it was crazy. It was quite the sight. But, I mean, we had all kinds of gear. We spent all kinds of money on all different gear. And we had uh, fishing rods that could do all different things for all different purposes. And they were all set up. And we'd get all the tackle and the bait. And we had them all in the compartments. And everything was, was just perfect. And you had to put them in, in seal-tight uh, compartments so that they didn't lose their smell. And, I mean, all the things. I mean, we had the hooks, all the different sizes. We had everything. But here's what I learned. It didn't matter what your tackle was. It didn't matter what your pole was like. None of that mattered if the drag on your line was not set correctly. You say, what is the drag on your line? The drag on your line, okay, is super important, especially when you hook a bigger fish. Let me tell you, the worst sound in the world is when you're fishing in a tournament and you got something big on the line and all of a sudden you hear, snap, okay? That's a bad sound. That's a real bad feeling. The drag, you can adjust it just so much so that when you hook a larger fish and it grabs that bait and you're reeling it in, all of a sudden that fish decides it's going to turn and it's going the other direction. And when that happens, you want to have the drag set just right so that that reel will let the line go just enough so that fish won't break the line. It'll go back out and then it'll get a certain length away and then that fish will stop and then you can start reeling it back in again nice and easy. You know, you're pulling it back in and and then that fish would turn and it would start to swim away again and you'd let the drag go out some more and then then you'd reel back and finally that fish would get worn out to the point that you could reel it all the way to the boat, take that net, dip it down in there and you pull that fish into the boat. It didn't matter how nice the gear was if the drag wasn't set right. You know one of the sad parts in the Christian life is that most Christians have no drag set for any other Christians. What are we saying? We're saying this. Listen, 
will know somebody that's in the church, that's faithful to the church, and all of a sudden they start to err. We say, well, too bad. We just immediately snap the line. I mean, we're ripping out with the, walking out with the scissors and cutting the line. I mean, it's just like, okay, yeah, that's what you want. See ya. No, we need we need some Christians that'll say, you know what? I'm going to give a little bit of drag there. They need some grace, some mercy, but we're not letting them go. No, 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 no. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, you got okay. Yeah, now you're turning back around. Okay, come back to me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I want to. I want to encourage you a little bit. I want to make you a phone call. I want to talk to you. Hey, listen. I, I know what's going. Hey, listen. You know what's. Hey, get back over here. Oh, there they go again. Okay, you know this. Okay, all right. Come back. Yep, 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 yep. And then finally, the day comes where they come to themselves, and they're looking for somebody standing there and saying, "Hey, we were waiting for you to come back, Christian." When's the last time that you did that for someone else? Listen, I'm sure thankful that God does it for me. I'm sure thankful that throughout my life, there's been people that were there saying, man, he's real dumb. <laughs> but we're just going to keep, yeah, we're going to keep working. Okay, here he comes again. He's coming back around. All right. Hey, welcome back. James comes to the end of his letter and he just... Puts that final stamp on there. He says, hey, listen. You know what the point of my book is? He says it's all about faith in action. He says, let me tell you something. Get out there and get doing. Start loving. He says, when you see somebody start to fall away, get them back in. I know it's hard. I know they may hurt you. But keep working on them. Don't give up. Just keep going. One day when they come back, you don't know how you might be impacting not just their life, but the life of their heritage, their lineage for the rest of time. I hope today we'll have some Christians that'll say, God, help me to demonstrate my faith, to put my faith into action, As we close the last pages on this book, I hope you're challenged. God, help me not to err away from you. Help me to stay faithful. And God, help me to help those that drift away to get back in the boat, to encourage them, to have faith put into action that shows the love of Jesus so we stop losing so many fish. That's what God desires for the church. And I hope that's the desire of your heart this morning. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for this time and your word. I thank you, God, for the many lessons we've learned from the book of James. And I pray this morning that the challenges that we found throughout this book over this last year, God, would not soon leave our minds. But God, as we close the pages of this book and as we come to the end, I pray that this final challenge from James would be one that we would remember, that we wouldn't soon forget. I pray, God, that that you would help some that are maybe beginning to err because, Lord, they're just not being intentional about the direction of their life. I pray that there would be some intentionality that's set this morning. I pray, God, for some that that maybe, Lord, they're on, on track, they're on path, but their burden for others, Lord, just isn't there. I pray, God, that they put the, the line in the water and they start fishing for some of those believers that are drifting away from you and bring them back to you. 
And God, I pray that if there's somebody here that's never accepted you as their Savior, maybe they've been playing a game, maybe they've just never understood it clearly, but this morning your Holy Spirit spoke to them, and they need to nail nail this down, get it nailed down for sure, knowing for sure that they're going to spend eternity in heaven based upon what Jesus did on the cross. I pray today that they'd get that settled right where they're seated this morning and ask you to be their Savior. Father, bless this time now as only you can. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads